This podcast may discuss sensitive topics that some people may find upsetting. Please consult the content warning in the episode description and listen at your own discretion. Thank you and enjoy. Hello and welcome to Tell Don't Show, a podcast where we find something interesting and really want to show you it, but we have to settle for telling you about it because your ears can't see things. I'm Ryan Roach. And I'm Katie Whitby. And let's get into our first topic. Would you like to hear about the strangest rags to riches story, or more likely a rags to riches to riches to riches to riches story? It's about Scrooge McDuck. It is not. I wish it was. This guy is not as classy as Scrooge McDuck. Scrooge McDuck was a bit of a bastard as well, so that, this guy's that's worse. a cause for concern. Yeah, this guy's a lot worse than Scrooge McDuck. Go ahead. He is called Lord Timothy Dexter. <laughs> He was born in winter of 1748, a few miles outside Boston, and he came from a family that was quite poor, and he left school at the age of eight to try and help. By the age of 16, he had secured an apprenticeship with a leather dresser and started working towards a career as a craftsman. And though it was considered lower class work, the money there was actually quite good because a lot of people wore leather, used leather on everything, and his teachers had monopolised crafting Moroccan leather which was in high demand. No fucking clue what that means. Don't know what it is. Couldn't be asked to Google it. At age 21, he finished his apprenticeship and went into business producing leather gloves and moose hide breeches. So right now it's just kind of a standard life. Yeah. It's all right. He's a chill dude. He's making leather. Moroccan mm-hmm. leather, apparently. And then stuff in Boston went a bit shit with taxation laws. But he decided to stay. And quote from the article, with a bindle on his shoulder, he went to Charlestown, which is Boston's leather epicenter there i love this person's name he met elizabeth frothingham frothingham yes a rich widow of one of his leather associates she was frugal and sold door-to-door goods dexter he fell absolutely head over heels for her bank account i mean i was gonna say yeah he didn't give a shit about her personality if you told me that he immediately fell in love with her i would have called immediate bullshit nah she was rich and he married her once he had married her He wasn't part of the upper class, even though he had married into it. So even though he was living near the then governor of the Commonwealth and some of the richest people in the country, he didn't fit in. They fucking hated him. He's a dirty leather boy. He's an uneducated dirty leather boy who had, well, on other articles I read, was a drunkard and had a very wandering eye. He was banging a load of filthy whores. Basically, In other words. And he was just, according to, you know, the richest society and also educated society... He just didn't know when to shut the fuck up. Oh. In every situation, he'd just say something or do something just wildly inappropriate. But he was trying to fit in. Yeah, yeah. Was, that's what led him to speak so much, I'd say. Because mm. he just really wants to fit in. And he's just like, oh yeah, I've got a story about this. And then it always ends with like him murdering somebody. Yeah, or, like, basically. that time he shat himself. Yeah. And everyone's like, no, why are you telling us this story? They, obviously, like I said, didn't accept him as upper class, and he was pissed. He wanted to be like, no, I am a member of the upper class, you will accept me for this. So he started to mimic what rich people did. So one thing they all, they all seemed to have was a seat in public office. So he became a politician. So he went to go get one, bearing in mind he dropped out of school when he was eight. He was like, no, I'm going to be in public office. He spammed the governing body of the area with petitions until basically they just caved in and created a position for him. This position was called Informer of Deer. Dexter was required to keep track of the fawn population of the town. 
town called Malden. From the government records, the last deer had disappeared from Malden Woods 19 years before. They sent him on a wild deer chase? Basically, because he would not give up. And they were just like, you know what? He clearly only wants to say he has a position. Yeah. So, and we don't want him to actually have any fucking say in what we do, because he's... A filthy, uneducated leatherman? And not just that, he's also insane. Oh no. Uh, Yeah, I'll get to that. He was really happy with this position, Mm -hmm. but he wanted to expand his wealth further. He wanted to get rich. So I'm going to give you a bit of background. At the start of the Revolutionary War in 1775, Continental Congress issues America's first form of paper currency. During the Revolution, the 250 million worth of currency was completely undermined and vendors didn't trust it and refused to accept it despite the threat of punishment. Wait, so vendors wouldn't accept the new American currency? No, they would not. Fair. So Congress was forced to print more money. That's never a success for yep. anybody. No, it lessened that. the value a lot. I will give you some statistics. In November of 1776, $1 in paper was $1 value goods. You know, I'm going to say pretty good so yeah. far. November 1778, $6 in paper was $1 value goods. In November 1779, $40 dollars of paper was one dollar goods in the space of a year it's increased by 32 dollars for just one dollar goods so safe to say this currency dog shit yeah my brain's having trouble it has trouble with money anyway but when money's not even worth one of itself yeah i don't get was it tied to anything or was it tied to the gold standard I don't actually know, but basically it was shit. And Congress very nicely paid their soldiers with it, (laughs) leaving them really, really poor. Here you go, people fighting for the future of our country, for freedom, for justice, have a worthless paper currency that you can't spend anywhere, even if you have a truckload of it. Yeah, basically. Also, I've invented the truck. Here's a load (laughs) of it. Dexter's well-to-do neighbours, two of which were named John Hancock, who was the governor, and... Fucking hell, John Hancock. Yeah. The John Hancock. Yeah. Christ. The government, the governor of the area. The, like, where the name nickname for a signature comes from. Yeah. Cool. And Thomas Russell, who was just loaded, took it upon themselves to buy loads of those bills to, one, just get them out of the way, get people money, and also to boost public confidence. So to boost public confidence in this shitty money, they had to spend real money on the shit money to yes. make the shit money seem real. And to make the shit money go away, basically. My god, economics is a bollock. Yeah, but Dexter copied them. And then some. People were very willing to part with this crappy currency, and he used all of his savings and his wife's, because his wife was loaded and he was not, to buy loads, absolutely loads of these notes for very, very little. So he definitely pitched that as a, no, babe, we'll both put everything we're worth into this. Yeah. And he was like... Haha! Joke's on you. I was poor. Yeah, he's got 14 cents and a packet of hobnobs. Yeah. And his wife's got like $2 million. Yeah. So he basically spent all of his money, all of his life savings. All of her money. And, well, yeah, on the off chance that the currency would be reinstated. Quite the gamble. Yeah, it worked. Of course. When the US Constitution was ratified in the 1790s, continental dollars could be traded in for treasury bonds at 1% of face value. Would you like to guess... Who is responsible for that? Is it him? No, it's this guy who was like a bastard orphan and a son of a whore and a Scotsman. Wow, was he dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean? Yeah. Alexander Hamilton. He's he's the reason why Dexter first got rich, basically. And when I say rich, I mean he was fucking loaded. Where's this guy in the musical? 
Does he one of the background people who is shouting like, that's my alcohol? Probably. Probably the him. On top of that, he'd taken the advice of a neighbour who'd given said advice to try and fuck him over and bought loads of European currencies, like the British pound and the French, whatever the fuck the French would be, francs. I assume it was francs. Yeah. Very creative name there. Yeah. The French Great. francs. The British bricks. <laughs> brick, 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 brick. Yeah, it's brick. fun. But yeah, so they tried to fuck him over and say, why don't you just buy loads of European currency as well? So he did that. I've got three million German germs. <laughs> and 20 million Irish ooze. Ooze. <laughs> it worked and he could flip those for a profit. Again, it just worked in his favour. I don't know how. Neither do I. But he thought this would make him, you know, he was like, no, I made this money. It's my money now. So I, I'm among the rich people. Yes. No. No, no one accepted him still. No, because he was an asshole. And because he was a, uh, a dirty, uneducated No, boy. it wasn't because of... He he was a dirty... Well, partially because he was uneducated. Yeah. You know, and also it's because like, he didn't make his money. He just married into it. Yeah. It wasn't them going, oh, we hate you because, you know, we hate you because you come from a poor background. It was, we hate you because you came from a poor background and got into money without actually putting any work into it. You just married yeah. in and now you're expecting us to accept you. Yeah, you married into it and then we kept trying to fuck you over and it somehow worked for you. Exactly. Stop succeeding, please. But they didn't like his distasteful nature and his crude rhetoric. So he left. What do they mean by crude rhetoric? I don't have any quotes um, from this time, but I do have quotes from him later, and yeah, it fits. I'll, I'll give you some later. Is he just calling people motherfuckers all the time? No, he, well, he probably did swear a lot, but it was also just, he was so dumb. So dumb. Oh, so crude is in, like, crude engineering. Yeah, and bearing in mind, he left school when he was eight. This was, the, one, the education of the 18th century, which wasn't great anyway. Yeah. And also, he was dumb. He was like a dumb eight-year-old. You know, like the kind of eight-year-old who is wondering how fucking pencils work still. I still wonder how pencils work. But how do they work, though? It's graphite. The bonds you... between the graphite are really weak, so... And it just stays on the paper? Yeah. How? Because the bond between the graphite and the paper is stronger. So graphite hates itself and must have bonded with paper? Yeah. I can see that now, okay. But yeah, he moves to Newburyport in Massachusetts. Here, with his fortune... He bought an entire fleet of shipping vessels, a stable of cream-coloured horses, and a lavish... Lavish. That's getting cut. A lavish coat. Fuck's sake. A lavish coach. Coach. With his initials. Well, now that you've said it weird, we have to include the bit where you mispronounce it. Yeah. Anyway. He erected a princely chateau that overlooked the sea. Erected. <laughs> Boner. <laughs> it was furnished with the most expensive furniture he could get. Even to the point of ensuring that the shitter, well, the outhouse, yeah. was a nice place to go and shit. But it was, quote, tasteful and commodious. But I'm imagining this is kind of very maximalist rather than minimalist. Very garish. Aggressively ostentatious. Yes. And just absolutely... As you'd expect of a guy who grew up as a, uh, as a dirty, uneducated leather boy who yeah. just got millions and millions of bricks. He is basically... Nouveau riche. Yeah. He then, you know, to try and make himself look more rich, hired a lot of artists to carve and mount a series of more than 40 giant wooden statues on his property. Oh, certainly wooden. Each depicting a great character in American lore. Washington, Adams, Jefferson, the goddess of fame and liberty, himself, you know. Himself? Obviously. One of the, the, the founding fathers of American lore. He wasn't going to be shown up. 
Yeah, I'm not going to be shouting about the likes of that George Washington loser. Damn right. I'll have you know, I counted non-existent deer for several years. These statues were two grand each. Fucking for the time. For the time. But it gave him loads of attention. I'm just going to try and look up how much that is in real money. While I'm still just going through it. Yeah, while you're going through it. But obviously the attention was bad attention. His wife left to live elsewhere because she found the house just embarrassing to live in. With the wife gone, Dexter's son moved in. Like his father, his son was not educated at all. And he was a drunkard who lost one of Dexter's ships, as I mentioned earlier, to gambling. Both of Dexter's children were drunkards. They just drank a lot. Gone, how much was it? I couldn't find it in dollars, but I could find it in pounds. Eh, same inflation. Apparently, two thousand pounds in eighteen hundred is equivalent in purchasing power to one hundred sixty-three thousand five hundred forty-four pounds. Jesus Christ! So his son's moved in. Yeah, this shit's on. What does the house turn into? Does it turn into a party house? It turns into a brothel. The best kind of party house. The best kind of party house. With the fine interior of the house becoming covered in unsightly stains. And smells, as I read. Oh, they got cumjas everywhere. Everywhere. Mm. Including curtains that were once owned by some kind of royalty. Somewhere. Oh my god, these drapes got jizzcummed on them. Yep. Now on to his fleet. He was going to launch a business in international trade. They seem trading more money, as that seemed to work out for him so far. You'd think, but no. His neighbours, who were also sick of his shit, like, new neighbours, hated him. Obviously. You're gonna hate somebody who... Like, furnishes his house horribly and puts loads of statues everywhere. He turns and it into a brothel and never actually worked a day. In his life. all of his money. So they were sick of him, and they started to give him, again, suggestions that they thought would fuck him over. One recommended that Dexter sell warming pans, which, you know, in Pirates of the Caribbean when she has that thing under the covers, and it, like, heats up the bed. Oh, right. Those. Yeah. To the West Indies. A famously hot place. Yep. So he purchased £42,000 and sent off nine vessels with them to sell. But when he got there, he realised, hold up, I'm sweating out my balls right now. It's boiling. Nobody needs these pans. Like, I waited till night time to see if it got right cold. It did not. Nobody needs these pans. I've still got sweat just streaming out of my asshole right now. Yep. So what am I going to do? I know. They're not warming pans. Yeah. They're ladles for sugar and molasses. Uh. Plantation owners loved them. They were buying pretty, like, at least three or four of these ladles. Mm. And obviously, in the West Indies, there were a lot of plantations. A lot of plantations, a lot of molasses going around. Yeah. How big are these pans, then? I don't actually know. From what I remember in, in, in the Pirates, Pirates of, of the Caribbean, Caribbean, it was kind of like, I'd say, a medium sized frying pan, maybe about 25 centimeter diameter. So like one of those big soup ladles you'd get in like a canteen. I'd say... Maybe bigger. Possibly, yeah. I'd say, like, imagine if a wok and a ladle had a baby. About that big. So he made a killing. Because obviously plantation owners had a lot of money, so they'd buy a lot of ladles. And all the money went straight into his pocket. And you know those plantation owners and their ladles. There was one year where Newburyport was having an issue with stray cats. Dexter put out an ad to buy them all... After the government of the area kind of rejected the idea to kill all the cats, which is good because you don't kill little kitties. Um, but he said he'd buy them all and take care of them. He sold them to the Caribbean, where warehouse owners paid absolute loads for them because it turned out there was a mice problem on the plantations. Again, he didn't know. He was he was just like, fuck it, I'll sell it to the Caribbean. It's not that far. 
So you, you just happen to think, oh, I bet they'll need these in the Caribbean somewhere. Yeah. Oh, wouldn't you know, they really, really need them. Yeah. Another instance, someone told him that there was a huge demand for coal in Newcastle. Whichever Newcastle this was had a huge coal mine. But when he got there, the miners were on strike. Fuck's sake. And so he sold the coal and came back with, and I quote, one barrel and a half of silver. By now, he had developed, he had actually developed a knowledge of how to trade. Yeah. So he um, looked into it enough to find out what to actually do. Yeah. One time he bought so many whale bones that he pretty much monopolised whale bones. The whale bone industry. Yeah. And then sold them <laughs> off to craftsmen for typewriters and corsets and so on and so forth. Which, again, resulted in him being ridiculously wealthy. Here's a quote from Dexter. Mm. I'm going to read it as it is written. I found I was very lucky in specula- speculation. Speculators swarmed me like hellhounds. Hounds without a D. I know my accent. Yeah. Skips on hounds. But yeah, speculation. Speculation. Mm-hmm. Is that spelled? S-P-E-K-K. E-L-A-T-I-O-N. Oh, I know English was weird back then, but not that weird. Not that weird. But obviously, as he had also developed trading techniques, he also used dirty tricks. Yeah. One of which being that he bought a shit ton of cheap Bibles. You know, it's America, very Christian at the time, still very Christian. Bibles you can get in bloody anywhere. They're just falling out the drains. Pretty much. Once they are 15s. He bought loads of them. I went to the West Indies and convinced the people there that if they didn't have a Bible in each family, they'd all go to hell. And if they wanted to repent, they could come to his ships and buy a Bible and go to heaven. So, you know, made a killing there. But his life at home wasn't great. Wait, you mean his wife that his, his rela- about? His relations with his wife, yeah. They fought a lot. You know, when they were together, they'd fight a lot and she'd chastise him for probably very warranted reasons. Like I said, he had a very wandering eye. So just on the whole, oh, they just hated him because he was poor and uneducated. No, he was also insane. He got so pissed off at her that he started calling her a ghost and refused to even acknowledge that she was alive. (laughs) That's how petty he was. I mean, that's fucking funny, though. I mean, yeah. I don't know how long that went on for. I hope the rest of her life. (laughs) But he still wasn't accepted by richer society. They hated his lack of taste, education and they disapproved of his antics. One such antic included changing the inscriptions on his statues, basically rewriting history at whenever he wanted. He forced a painter to correct the inscription of Declaration of Independence on Jefferson's statue to Constitution of Independence, which, as we know, is wrong. That's just very wrong. Yeah, but when I say forcing, mm-hmm. I mean, when the painter said no, Dexter fired a shot at him with his long rifle. So... He, he, Desecrate this monument or I'll shoot you. Basically. <laughs> Fucking hell. Just to be more like his rich neighbours, he wasted his money, you know, he spent it on God knows everything, because he had apparently an endless bloody amount. He bought a whole library of books. Which he couldn't read. He was illiterate, yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell, I was making a joke, but... <laughs> no, he could not read. He'd, like, Makes sense. he'd he was... stare at the pictures for like ten minutes and get bored. He was a dirty leather boy. Exactly. <laughs> that sounds like a kink. A dirty leather boy? Yeah. He can be my dirty leather boy. Oh yeah, daddy. Oof. Oof. (laughs) (laughs) And a gallery's worth of paintings. Which weirdly he read the inscriptions on and then got bored. Yeah, probably. Probably couldn't read the... You know, like um, Charlie and Always Sunny. You know, that's exactly who I was thinking of this whole time. If there was a movie on this man, I would expect Charlie Day to play him. He's somehow every It's Always Sunny character in one. Yeah. 
He surrounded himself with the most eccentric people he could find, as these were the only people who would actually accept this, you know, lowly educated knobhead. One being a man called John P. Couldn't find his last name. He was a rejected schoolmaster. So, in response to being rejected, he opened his own school and taught children he he decided was was science. Yeah. I'll make my own school with blackjack and hookers. Basically. Um, Oh my god, I want a show about his posse. Yeah. You know, like Entourage. That would be amazing. Especially with the next person, called Madame Hooper, who was a rich widow and fortune teller and gave Dexter astrology advice in return for tea. She was in return for tea? Yeah. It's like... She was a thirsty bitch. It's like the British doing stuff for drugs. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Added onto his entourage was a poet. Not by choice. Uh, wait, as in he joined the entourage not by choice? He joined or... the... Yeah, he was forced to join the entourage. Well, he was a poet not by choice. Yeah, forced to join the entourage. Um, as in imitation of the King of England, Dexter hired his own poet. Unlike famous Italian poets who were crowned with mistletoe. Sorry, I know where this is leading and it makes me chuckle. Unlike famous Italian poets who were crowned with a crown made of mistletoe, Dexter's had a crown made of parsley, as it was what Dexter could get his hands on, and forced to write and recite poems that fawned over Dexter and his greatness. Uh, his group. Yep. Come on now. I mean, he's got this like worldwide shipping empire. He can't get some fucking mistletoe. It was what was growing in the garden. He's just got some parsley. Hey, he was... He's like the start of the homegrown-your-own-food movement. Yeah, parsley crowns. Parsley. For his fitting um, company. The reason for that is because back then they actually used long S's, which looked like F's. So we pronounce it... Don't know what that. So we pronounce it as F's because it amuses us, because we're fucking idiots. More or less. Yeah. But... So he wanted all this adoration, and he was getting it from his poet and from his friends. Hmm. And his workers. Wanting more adoration, though, he'd sometimes go into neighbouring towns, stopping random strangers and telling them his life story. I mean, to be fair, listening to his life story is pretty great. Yeah, but would you really want a madman to come up to you and go, Hey, I'm filthy wealthy, do you want to know how? If he spoke in that exact voice, yes. Good point. Can you tell me what his full name is? You know what? I actually can't. Mainly because I've been swearing to him by his last name. Yeah. Um, Lord Timothy Dexter. Oh, he's a lord now? Yes, because he decided that. He just renamed himself lord. He declared that he... No, he declared that he was a lord. Oh. He didn't rename himself lord, because that would mean... No, he he decided that he was one. And his workers just started calling him lord because they couldn't be asked to fight with him. He could sense that all of the praise from his workers wasn't real. You know, because they were paid to do it. So he wanted people to, like, actually adore him. He wanted people to see... He wanted to see what people thought of him. He wanted them to see the real him. Not even... No, he wanted to see the real them in reaction to him. To the real him. Yeah. Yeah. So he faked his own death. As you do? Yep. He first prepared his tomb, which was a well-ventilated room in the basement of a fine summer home. He then hired the best cabinet maker in Massachusetts to build a mahogany coffin. As, you know, he's rich and he's going to use rich material, as all rich men would. He liked said coffin so much that he would sleep in it sometimes. For the it was rest comfy. of his life. Not not the rest of his life, but he did sleep in it because they're comfy and, well, you've seen a coffin inside. They're padded and they have like this bed and sheets and everything. So he slept in Yeah, there. I never really understood that. What does a dead person care? I don't know. Just put me in well, a cardboard box. Yeah, I mean, he's not a dead person, so I suppose he does care. Exactly. He then enlist- enlisted some of his most trustworthy workers to organise a funeral for him and pass out cards of the news to the community that he had passed. He let in his wife and two kids on the secret and demanded that they have to act the part of mourning family members. 
Look, my dear, I know that you're a ghost and you're really jealous of my cool coffin. Yep. But don't give the secret away. Yeah, don't give it away. Cry. Throw yourself on my coffin. You know, start crying going, why couldn't they take me? Just do that and it'd be all good. Well, I know why they can't take you because you've already been taken. You are a ghost. Yeah. Well, I'll let you be alive for this one thing. On the day, around 3,000 people showed up. Fucking hell. Mainly, well, I presume, mainly because it was a very fancy funeral, where only the fanciest wines and liquors were served. I was going to say, there's got to be food and drink, hasn't there? Yeah, there's no way in hell I would go to the, like, you know, I'd go to a rich person's funeral if I got invited and I knew there'd be nice food and alcohol. He was observing the whole thing from under the floor, and he was really happy. So he wasn't even in the coffin? No. He was just hiding like the Phantom of the Opera? Yeah. I love this man. He was really happy to see that his son, who, um, as for mentioned, was a drunkard, mm-hmm. uh, he was drunk enough to not really need to act. He was just kind of crying anyway. Um, his daughter, also a drunkard, had her head buried in her hands as well. But his wife was smiling. She wasn't playing the part. I think that is playing the part, considering they hate each other. No, that's not... Well, He she wasn't playing the part he wanted her to play. Fair. So he approached her in the kitchen and confronted her. He confronted her by caning her. Oh. Which obviously caused a bit of a commotion, leading a lot of people to go into the kitchen and find Dexter, who they thought was dead, beating his wife. Beating his ghost wife, no less. As a ghost. Yeah. That's why he could do it. But he then proceeded to basically try and play it off as though nothing happened and just have a party with his mates. He just went ditch this whole like funeral stuff. Let's yeah. just get wild. Basically. So that was that. He's still obviously trying to follow in the footsteps of all these rich, great men. Yeah. So he knew, like them, he needed to become immortalised, you know, on paper with books and quotes. So he published a memoir. Oh no, an illiterate guy. Yep. Despite not really knowing how to write, he published his memoir called A Pickle for the Knowing Ones or Plain Truths in a Homespun Dress. I want to own that book so badly. So do I. I want to... I'll get onto it, but I definitely want to own the second edition. But I'll get onto this. Oh, fuck. The book was misspelled and contained little to no punctuation. Actually, I'm pretty sure it contained no punctuation at all. Um, however, some people theorised that he was actually exaggerating how poor he was to kind of mock the poor and uneducated, as though to like mock people who hated him, as if to say, I'm not smart like you, but with money I can do whatever I want. Like, you have to work hard to publish a book, but I have loads of money, so I can just do it anyway. You know? God. Like noblemen in England, Dexter didn't sell his book. He gave it as gifts to passers-by, which was actually what noblemen did. Weirdly, though, people actually appreciated the book. I'm guessing because it was basically an insight into the mind of a madman. I mean, it's like if Nicolas Cage wrote an autobiography. Don't you dare besmirch the name of Nicolas Cage. In no, this podcast. I'm just meaning because Nicolas Cage is a madman. I want to read that so bad. Yeah, I would, I would just sit and listen to Nicolas Cage go on about whatever subject oh he wanted God. for hours on end. God, if you had an audiobook. That would be amazing. Or if, like this guy did earlier, he just confronted us on the street and told us his life story. Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy with that. I'd buy him a coffee and a bit of cake. I'd buy him anything. Yeah. I'd help pay off his, like, $5 million debt. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. That guy's a mess. Yeah. Love him. But demand was so high for his book that a second edition was printed. This time, however, after being nagged by his editor, he included a page at the end. Full of punctuation? Full of punctuation. I fucking knew it. With the instruction, pepper and salt them as you please. I fucking knew it. Yep. 
He was like, no, you have to punctuate this book. Okay, I'll do it right at the end. I'd heard that as a joke somewhere. I didn't know it was real. He wanted notoriety for being rich and just as successful as smart people. And it worked. He got really rich and a lot of people were talking about his book nearly a century later. You know, so people knew his name and they knew about him. But I don't think they knew about him in the way that he wanted. I'm guessing he kind of wanted people to be like, oh, wow, isn't he amazing? What an amazing, sophisticated guy. Yeah, people knew about him. But then Instead of going, oh, wow, is that really good? Really good guy, Fantastic, famous Dexter. Everybody loved Dexter. It was, oh, hey, Dexter, isn't he that guy who wrote the book about the pickles for the people? And got rich somehow against all odds. (laughs) He shouldn't have got rich, but he kind of did. And it was really fucking weird. And nobody really knows why. It just, like, the universe decided, yeah, fuck it, this guy can be rich, why not? But in his dying days, he tried to kind of atone for the drunkenness, the wandering eye, the general being crazy and an asshole. And he divided his estate among his wife, children, and friends, making sure that every single one of them was satisfied. Fair enough, good guy. Yep, and he died quietly on the 26th of October, 1806. First thing he ever did quietly. Pretty much. And to further make him quiet and get rid of him from the town's affairs... Newburyport's Board of Health rejected his request to be buried in the tomb that he had prepared for his fake funeral. Aww. As they said it was unsanitary. Which it might have been, we I don't mean, know. It probably was. Sure. You know, he fucking turned everything into a brothel, so... Yeah, he um, got just come all over the place. He was instead buried in a quaint cemetery somewhere else. I couldn't find where, and I don't really care. I think it was in a field, and then the kind of stuff around it just kind of covered up his grave. Fair enough. A few years later, in 1815, a strong wind knocked his statues loose. Oh. The statues that cost two grand were sold at an auction for prices between 50 cents and five dollars. Oh, I mean, they were made of wood. Exactly. But also, like I said, this guy was rich without the sense and without earning the money. He didn't actually know money's value, but he was just trying to copy all these rich people to the extreme. It's kind of like the example that I said to you know my dad, who's a scientist. I said, if before you actually went to get educated to become a scientist, if you decided to base your skills off what you see on TV, yeah, you'd be a laughingstock. It's kind of like if I, well, not if not if I person, but if I wanted to be a hacker, oh, I'll just base it off hackers on TV, and then I'll just mash my keyboard and wonder why I'm not a real hacker and why I'm not respected in the field. Yeah. It's like, that's what this guy was. Like, I don't even feel sorry for him because, one, he got rich anyway, which is what he wanted, and he, by the sounds of it, did whatever the hell he wanted and had a pretty good life. And two, he was just an annoying, loudmouth asshole. Yeah. I would hate to live near this guy. Oh my god, he'd be such an asshole. I'd hate to, to even, not even including the, because obviously he lived in a rich area, I'd hate to be in the poor area near this guy. I'd hate to be in the same state because he is such an asshole. He's self-obsessed, rich dude. Yeah. Wandering around, yelling at people about how rich he is. Basically. And, you know, so that was, as I described earlier, a rags to riches to riches to riches to riches to riches story that for some fucking reason occurred despite the odds. And that was Lord Timothy Dexter. Thank you for using his proper title. Obviously. Gotta show respect where respect is due. Today's podcast is brought to you by our good friend at twitch.tv slash rudedudecasts. He isn't paying us or anything, he's just a really great guy and we kind of want to tell you about him since we can't show you him. 
Sometimes he streams himself playing various games, sometimes he casts a variety of esports, and sometimes he just hangs out with people, and he's just generally his awesome self. Hell, I remember that one where he baked cake and yeah, it didn't go well. So go to twitch.tv slash rudocast and check him out. Now, back to the show. Right, so I tried to keep mine a bit shorter, a bit sweeter, a bit less heavy. Yeah, a bit lighter than meth and murder. Yeah, meth, murder, and racist Elmo's in the street. Yeah, a little bit lighter today. This one begins in 1922. Okay. Sir Charles Leonard Woolley, a famed British archaeologist, is about to set off on an expedition headed in tandem by the University of Pennsylvania and the British Museum. Just, just going to check, this is like an actual... This is a real story. No, I was going to say a knighted sir, not just a guy like the fucking last guy who was like, nah, fuck it, I'm yeah. a sir now. No, he didn't call himself Lord Charles Leonard Woolley. Okay, cool. He's so he, he did genuinely actually... knighted. Okay, cool. I don't know if he was knighted at this point or if he was knighted later. Entirely possible he was knighted later. Who knows? This expedition that he was on, it would last 14 years with Woolley and his wife, Catherine, who was also a famed archaeologist, leading their team to examine the ancient Sumerian city of Ur, Ugh. located in Mesopotamia in modern-day Iraq. Where are you going? Ugh. So, you, where were you on holiday? Uh Oh, I've been there. It's real nice. 14 years. 14-year expedition through Iraq. So, wait. I am right in saying they were travelling from England, yeah? Yes. So, it'd take, like, a max... At the, and I'm being very um, lenient with this. Like, max about eight months, I'd say? No, actually, it was 1922. 1922, so probably a bit shorter than that. Uh, let's say max half a year. Yeah. So, really... They did a lot of archaeology in... 13 years, let's say. Like, there and back, removed. That's ridiculous. Yeah, they uncovered a, a shitload of stuff. Right. First of all, they actually uncovered the city of Ur. Oh, cool. Fair enough. I kind of understand, like, especially because archaeologists like brush stuff off with tiny brushes. Yeah, they've all that would take thirteen years. I mean, we've all seen Time Team. Exactly. This expedition led to many great discoveries. For one, many Sumerian nobles seem to have been buried in Ur, which allowed for the reclamation of a literal treasure trove. Awesome. Alongside. A bunch of insight into various royals, such as one Queen Huabi, whose tomb was so well hidden it had been entirely untouched even by looters. I think I'd heard about that. Like, just the tomb that was so well hidden. I love stuff like that. I'm going to hazard guess and say that they did the proper thing um, and leave these treasures to the country in which they were found. Oh, 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 pish posh. This is Britain in the 1920s. Yep, we claimed it for ourselves and put it in the museum. Why do you think I mentioned the British Museum? That's where half of this stuff is nowadays. Yeah... We should give it back. Yeah. Include I don't want to give back the main article of this because it is so funny. Oh god, what is it? Let me keep going through what they found. So the sheer amount of artifacts in that room of you know, the tomb of Queen Boavi, it was enough to allow the Woolies to reconstruct her burial ceremony. And they also found the bodies of two servants who were presumably poisoned to accompany the Queen to the afterlife. Yeah, they were big on that. Like any ancient civilization was pretty big. They were big very on... big on that. Yeah. I'm sure Sumer was no exception. Mm. However, the excavation of Ur was not all about royalty. Many historical artefacts and archaeological pieces were recovered, many of which are still in the British Museum to this day, as I mentioned. One such item is in the Guinness Book of World Records as the oldest written complaint regarding purchased goods. Mm. The complaint tablet was recovered at Ur. It was written in Akkadian cuneiform, with Akkadian being the language that was used in ancient Sumeria and other Mesopotamian cultures. Yeah. Cuneiform was the logosyllabic writing system, which was used by many of these same cultures. Definitely know what that means. 
logosyllabic, every symbol refers to a given syllable. Oh, okay. So there's logosyllabic, and then which one is the one where pictures refer to certain... To certain words and ideas. Yeah, oh, like hieroglyphics. I think that's just a logography. Okay. This tablet is around 12 centimeters high, 5 centimeters wide, 2.5 centimeters thick. It's made out of clay. Girthy. Yeah. It's slightly damaged over the years. No surprise. It's like, what, uh, centuries? It was, It's around 4,000 years old. A bit more than a century. Yeah, the, tablet dates, the tablet dates back to approximately 1750 BCE. Jesus, okay. It details a complaint written by an individual called Nani regarding a shipment of copper purchased from a man known as Ian Nasir. Nani? <laughs> That's what he said when he received his shitty copper. Yeah, that was the only, that was the first ever word in the Japanese modern day language. Modern Japanese and, language, uh, it was what? Yeah. The tablet is suspected to have been transcribed by a servant of Nani's. It is written on both sides of the tablet, because long apparently one side was not enough to contain his rage. Did you, like, compare the size of, like, obviously not the thickness, but, like, how big are we talking in paper? I think A4 is around 14 centimetres tall. Okay, so it's about, about a sheet of A4 then. And maybe, no. A4's way bigger than 14 centimetres. What the fuck am I on about? A5? This phone that I'm holding in my hand is... Probably just under 14 centimetres. Maybe 14 centimetres exactly. Yeah. So it's about the size of a phone. But... Yeah. If you can imagine the Samsung A52, it's around that size. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe in terms of thickness as well. I think um, a bit thicker. No, I'd say a bit thicker than that, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, these tablets, because there are many of them, mm -hmm. they can be quite hard to read. They can be harder to understand. So if you have any questions about it, just you know, feel free to interrupt me. I'll try and decrypt it as much as I can. Okay. Anyway, here we go, the famous tablet. Tell Ianasir, Nani sends the following message. When you came, you said to me as follows, I will give Gimelsin, when he comes, fine quality copper ingots. You left then, but you did not do what you promised me. You put ingots which were not good before my messenger, Sitsin, and said, if you want to take them, take them. If you do not want to take them, go away! So basically... He's like the car salesman in Matilda. He's like the dad in Matilda. Yeah, he's a shitty car salesman. He's like, oh, I'm going to give you a great car. And then you get there and it's like, oh. It's a jolly. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, oh, well, if you don't want it, fuck off. I said I was going to give you a great car. This is what I've got. Yeah. It, literally I, what he's doing. I enjoy the fact that he knows, I'm, I'm presuming, oh, he definitely knows that his copper is shit. He honestly knows his copper is garbage. And I like, I like it when people know they're doing something shitty, but are still defensive entirely confident in it no like when they're like yeah well why don't you buy it fuck you man it's like dude you're the one doing something shitty here but i like uh, i love that whole the, dynamic the letter goes on i say letter um tablet yes the tablet goes on what do you take me for that you treat somebody like me with such contempt i have sent as messengers gentlemen like ourselves to collect the bag with my money deposited with you and you have treated me with contempt by sending them back to me empty-handed several times. And that, through enemy territory. <laughs> so this motherfucker was sending dudes to go get a refund. And every single time, Ionessi was telling them to fuck off. Back through hostile ground. I like to think that was- I like to think it was even more extreme in that they left with weapons as they were going through hostile ground, got to get the deposit back, and the guy who they were getting the deposit from took their weapons as well. 
<laughs> I like to think that's that's what he means by empty-handed. Like you literally took away the shirt on their back. He somehow scammed all of their equipment. Yeah, that's entirely possible, knowing Giannisia. Yeah, I mean he's kind of a shitty businessman, but also he's a genius. I love him. Is there anyone among the merchants who trade with Talmun who has treated me in this way? You alone treat my messenger with contempt. On account of that, one trifling mina of silver which I owe you, you feel free to speak in such a way. Well, I have given to the palace on your behalf 1,080 pounds of copper. Shit. And Umiyabum has likewise given 1,080 pounds of copper, apart from what we both have had written on a sealed tablet to be kept in the Temple of Samas, who I believe was the sun god. Yeah. How have you treated me for that copper? You have withheld my money bag from me in enemy territory. It is now up to you to restore my money to me in full. Take cognizance that, from now on, I will not accept here any copper from you that is not of fine quality. I shall, from now on, select and take the ingots individually in my own yard, and I shall exercise against you my right of rejection, because you have treated me with contempt. So, really, this guy's being fair, and he's saying, you know, it's kind of like, if a baker was giving you really shit bread, you'd be like, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, yeah. I'm not going to have what you give me, I'm going to pick it. This guy's trying to enforce a ancient version of the right to return. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fair. Refund rights. This is still being fought over to this day, somehow. Yeah. So that was a pretty scathing letter, for the time, at least. Yeah. I do like the mention of, look, just because I owe you a bit of money, yeah. now you're giving me shit copper. Yeah, because really what he could do is just be like, you know, you paid a deposit, so I'm just going to take the money that you owe me from the deposit and then give you the rest of the deposit back. Yeah. But nah. But no, he's he's giving him shit copper. Yeah, quite clearly, yeah, Nasir is kind of a bad dude, trying to pawn off some poor quality copper. Well, this isn't the only time that Yanisir has received complaints because of his shitty copper. Mm. Archaeologists found almost a dozen more tablets just like this one, each regarding Yanisir and his shifty merchant ways, all of which were found in a singular room in a fairly wealthy building. A building which is believed to be the home of Yanisir himself. Jesus, so he collected them all? He kept his hate mail in a I special would, room. I would line my walls with it. Oh my god. Well, you can't with the one from Nanny. It's oh yeah, it's double-sided, yeah. Because it's a pretty hefty tablet. Yeah. Many of these were only kept if they were, you know, absolutely necessary. So receipts and stuff. Things needed for the general running and, you know, bookkeeping and stuff like that. It's why that one mentioned that there was stuff kept in the palace. Yeah. Because it's that important. This motherfucker... He just kept hate mail. Nah, Not important. No, nah, I'm keeping it all. Yeah. Um, so what else do we know about Yanasir as a person? He's an asshole. Well, yes. We also know that he was alive in the 18th century BCE. Okay. We know where he lived. He lived in the city of Ur during the time when it was likely a seafront city instead of a riverfront city. So the laws yeah, of the tide changed. Yeah. We also know that he was a member of the Alik Tilman. They were a guild of merchants who were based in Dilmun, which is now in present-day Bahrain. I don't know where that is. Bahrain's near Iraq. Okay. Well, because it is in Iraq. Yeah. We know that Yar Nasir, he would travel the Sumerian world, he'd go so far as the Persian Gulf, finding materials that he could sell elsewhere for a profit. We also know that Yar Nasir was not only dealing in the wholesale of refined ingots of copper, but also in the sale of finished metals, uh, finished metal products, sorry, mm. such as houseware. Yeah. He was selling textiles and even foodstuffs occasionally. He was <laughs> the famous Finnish metal product. Food. Look, he was he was a roving MS. Yeah, selling odds and sods. 
Yeah, I just like the idea of he's selling raw metals and then pots and pans. Raw metals, pots and pans, and a lovely loaf of bread. A lovely focaccia. Got a nice focaccia right here. Originally, Ianasir operated entirely from the city of Ur. He was servicing the palaces there and being considered generally a reliable investment. Then one day, he began spending more and more time in Dilmun, and from this point on, he became a bit of a swindler. One series of notes was written by a man named Arbiturum, who I presume was working on behalf of another man called Nana. I'm not using Nana's full name, because it included a racial slur. Oh. So it's shortened to Nana. Okay. So, it yeah, it's kind of like how there are like certain countries that look like they'd be pronounced as a racial yeah. slur, but they're not. It's like, I'm also not going to talk about Lovecraft's cat, even though I love Lovecraft. Or the um, Dan Buster's cat, yeah. either. What is it with cats and racial slurs? It was the colour that they were because they it was a colour, a, a paint colour. Uh, no, brown. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, so Arbiturum first wrote a note to Iannasir saying, You have given the copper and given the silver and the profit to Nana. I have made you issue a tablet. Why have you not given me the copper? If you do not give it, I will recall your pledges. Good copper, give again and again. Send me a man. So basically, we've sent you money for the goods that you promised and you've not delivered. Yeah. Send somebody with the goods and probably an apology. Please deliver me the fucking copper. Or I'll push your shit in. Yeah. Okay. I just like the, um, why have you not given me the copper? Why? Why have you not done it? I'm not sure whether to read these in an angry tone of voice or a sad tone of voice. Bit of column A, bit of column B. Yeah. I've made you issue the tablet. Why have you not given me the copper, Anasir? I'm sorry, Mr. Ionisir. I broke my copper. Another note by Arbiturum was written some time later, saying, Why have you not given the copper to Nana? Ili Idinam says the copper that Nana has received is mine. Be kind enough to give the copper, as much as he has a claim on you, to Nana. Okay, so I'm guessing that means... Because you have Nana's money. You owe him more copper. You owe him that copper. Why have you not given it to him? Yeah, and you're saying that, you know, it's got something to do with me i'm guessing yeah but give the fucking cop t- just give the copper to nana basically well at this point in the story other people began writing to ianasir regarding nana's copper oh jesus the copper of mine give it to nana good copper in order that my heart shall not be troubled which is a turn of phrase that actually comes up a couple of times yeah calls it dog he's being carried like a baby that's a cute dog yes yeah, that my heart shall not be troubled. I think that's to do with like the burden of guilt and sin and stuff. It, it kisses. <laughs> Sorry. Do you want to do an episode on that dog? Yes. So basically, give Nana now. Everybody, yeah. Now everybody's giving it Nana because I'm guessing Nana's been fucked over. I think this person was saying, "Look, have some of my copper and give it to Nana." Yeah. Because if something bad happens to you, I'll also be in the shit. Okay. Because I think what so my heart shall not be troubled means. Oh yeah. Okay. That was from an individual called Appa. There was another note written by... (laughs) Apologies. Yeah, he offered his apologies. Oh, that's a good one. Thank you. You're funny. You are funny. Another note written by Inger Sin. This one reads, May Samas, that's on God, Mm -hmm. bless your life. Give good copper under seal to Nana. Fuck's sake. Now you have had me issue ten shekels of silver. I believe that's quite a lot. Mm. In order that your heart shall not be troubled... Yeah. Give good copper to him. Okay. Imgersin concludes his tablet, stating, 
do you not know how tired of I am of this? So everybody's just like, I'm sick of your shit. Just give him the copper yeah. and we can move on with our lives. Look, Nana needs his fucking copper. Just give it to him for the love of some ass. So Yannesia was wanted by Nana and their associates because he would not give them the copper that they paid for. <laughs> and So if, he's a con man at this point. If he was ever, you know, sending them copper, it was really terrible quality copper. Yeah. That, was, that kind of became a shtick. But either way, he wouldn't return the silver that he received as prior payment. Nana and co. were not the only people annoyed by Ianasir's actions. How many people fell for this shit? There were a good dozen or so notes found in his house. Jesus. And those are just the ones that survived. And the ones he kept. Yeah, the the famous one. I, I, I like to think he kept them all. Mm. But the famous one was pretty ragged. Yeah. One of Ianasir's business partners, a man named Ilsu Elatsu, fantastic name. Oh yeah, I love it. He wrote a tablet reading... With regard to the copper of Idensin, Isija will come to you. Show him 15 ingots so that he may select 6 good ingots and give him these. Act in such a way that Idensin will not become angry. So even his business partners were now getting annoyed by how shady and shitty him and his copper were. Yeah, it was like, for the love of God. Like, so... Look, I know you're going to give him some bad copper. Yeah. So Give him more copper than he needs and he'll pick out the good stuff. That's amazing. Like, he's saying, look, let him pick two-fifths. Of the copper. Yeah. Like, that is that is not a lot, but that is also saying that three-fifths of the copper are shit. Yeah, he needs to bring over double the amount his customers actually need. Yes. Just to reduce the can- the chances? The chances of him ripping people off. I can read well. Yeah. Yeah. See, unlike you, my reading, not so good. No. A rather sarcastic tablet, written by the aforementioned Ili Idnam, that was in the, in the Nana case. The Nana case. Like, there's a legal entity going on. It could, I, probably for the time. It might well I'm, be. I'm going to hazard, like, probably a lot of people knew about this by then. Oh, yeah. He wrote to Ianasia saying, The work that you have done is so good. One year ago, I paid silver in a foreign country. You shall hold back only bad copper. Please bring your copper. So now he's just kind of going for the, if I praise him, maybe he will give me, like, an actual good product rather than just some shit. Or rather, wow, that copper was so good. I don't know if he was actually ordering more copper, if he was just saying, if he was just making fun of his shit copper. Yeah, that's, we'll never know. Yeah. Speaking of people that I wish I could talk to. Yeah. Yeah, Nasir. Yeah, that's fair. I wish I could, that would be so cool to just go back in time and talk to these people who were either shitty people or dealing with shitty people. Yeah, famous assholes and their associates. Yeah. This, this should be a Doctor Who episode. Because I was going to say, like the last one. I think him and his entourage, you could have like a genuinely good comedy yeah. like, sitcom about them. Yeah, I think they should do an Always Sunny of it. Absolutely. This guy, I kind of imagine him like Dandelion from Witcher, but <laughs> as a shitty copper merchant. <laughs> Toss a coin to your shitty copper merchant. <laughs> so it seems that in the end, his history of selling poor quality goods caught up to him. As not only was his house connected to the one next door, which was a sign that other people extended, or that his house was falling apart and it had to be connected for stability. Yeah. Not only was that the case, he had to branch out into less lucrative markets than the copper industry, such as land speculation, real estate, and selling second-hand clothes. Aww, that's a bit of a fall from grace. Isn't it? I mean, from the heights of copper industry. No, like, yeah, but, like, metal would be used in, oh, like, yeah. loads of places. I mean, and clearly then... the palace at Earth. 
Yeah. It was technically like a city-state within Sumeria as yeah. well, so it had its own loyalty. Sorry, I need to move in the chair. I keep making chair noises, I'm very sorry. I'm not sure that it's picking up on these chair noises. Well, we shall see when you edit it, because Ryan very nicely edits it, because I can't. Uh, not saying I can, as you've probably heard. Yeah, it's just I don't want to. Even in all of these industries, which were all meticulously recorded and chronicled, thanks to records kept by the then ruler of Earth, or Grim Sin, mm. he was still known as a bit of a, a shitheel <laughs> in each of these industries. <laughs> You're not selling second-hand clothes, these are third-hand clothes, you bastard! These are dead people clothes! They're still on the corpse! Oh, you found a little arm in that one. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's extra. <laughs> That's on the house. How does he sell shitty land? He probably bigs it up. He definitely bigs it up. I mean, that's just like a part of real estate and stuff. Mm. I imagine he wasn't surveying it at all. Probably not. Saying, look, I know some fantastic land. It's like a couple of miles down that way. And then it's like an active volcano. Yeah. Oh, God. He probably never actually did proper work. And he was just kind of pawning it off. Yeah, I don't think this guy did anything properly. Oh god no. Apparently he did early though, because he was considered a good investment. Yeah, well that's kind of like how on the last story he originally did work and make good money as a leather worker and then he became an asshole. Yeah. Like what led to this guy? He moved away and then suddenly he started scamming people. Maybe it was a product of the area? Maybe he, he made him a... with a bad crowd? Yeah, possibly. We learned that Ianesir was so reviled for travelling the world and trying to pawn off shitty copper scamming people out of all of their cash, that he eventually died as an unsuccessful and somewhat destitute, if infamous, merchant. Okay, so this this one is where somebody actually gets kind of punished for what they've done. Yeah, obviously 4,000 year, year old archaeology. Not a lot is known about much of this. Yeah. But, but what we do know paints a glorious picture, I think. In a, a fall from grace that was very much deserved. Yeah, but this absolute mad lad scamming people out of copper, just being an asshole about it. Yeah. I love him. Amazing. I want some shitty copper. I want some shitty copper from him. I'd make a necklace out of it that'd break instantly because it's shit. <laughs> when we invent time travel. Yeah, we'll go do it. First port of call. Some shitty copper. Some shitty copper. Second port of call. A certain lord in Massachusetts. Yes. That's all we have to talk about on this episode of Tell Don't Show. If you want to help us out, you can follow this podcast, rate it five stars, leave good reviews, help talk about us, mention us people in the street, do whatever you want. You can also follow us on our Instagram, which is at tell underscore don't underscore show, and join us on our new subreddit at r slash tell don't show underscore podcast, or email us directly with tell don't show podcast at gmail.com with any new subjects that you think might be really interesting. That's all for now. See you next week. Thank you.